the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Past couple weeks, we have heard in Matthew's gospel uh, a couple parables. Uh, the first we heard was the parable of the groom uh, coming into uh, the wedding feast and the preparedness of the ten virgins. And then we hear the parable of the master and the servants with the talents. And this morning we come not to a parable, but to a vivid description of what will happen when Jesus returns as king. All the nations will stand before him, anyone who ever was and is, who walked the face of this earth, will be there, and he will judge them as they are called to account, and to the sheep they will go to his right hand, and the goats they will go to his left. The sheep go into eternal life, and the goats go away into eternal punishment. Now, the final judgment that will come to all of us is depicted here as one that should make us all a little bit uneasy, at least at first glance. For what we for what we hear is that the sheep get into everlasting life, into the kingdom of God, because for when Jesus was hungry, they gave him food. When he was thirsty, they gave him a drink. When a stranger, they welcomed him. When naked, they clothed him. When sick and in prison, they visited him. The goats, they did no such thing. So this morning, there are lots of things to say about judgment and hell, but let's just look at two things that come up out of this passage. The first is that it sounds like we enter into eternal life with God because of our good works. In this passage. And number two, it's difficult for us to hear what Jesus is saying because many of us struggle with any kind of final judgment, especially one that results in some people going to hell. So, a very lighthearted sermon as we headed to Thanksgiving. <laughs> but if you have spent any time listening to sermons or classes at the Advent, this description of the Last Judgment at the very least, ought to put a kink in your brain. At the worst, it ought to make you think, wait a minute, have y'all just been lying to me? Because you've been telling me that you enter the kingdom of God by grace and not by works so that no one can boast. And yet it sounds as if Jesus is saying that people who are really good and do really good things, those are the people that come in. And so how do I balance that? Or how do I deal with what Jesus is saying here? In light of the fact that it sounds like y'all are saying the opposite, I'm very confused. Well, the things that we see in this passage are one, when Jesus says, here are all the things that you sheep have done, you righteous people. Here's what you've, you've done in your lifetime. And what's the response of the sheep? Surprise. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When did we do any of that? You know, if I was in the sheep line and somebody blurted that out, I'd just be like, be quiet and roll with it. You know, let's just make our way, right? Why would you, why would you blurt out? You got it wrong, Jesus. No, 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 no. Uh, but they're so taken back by the fact that, wait a minute, Jesus, you're saying that we did all these things, and yet, uh, when I look at my life, it's actually lacking. Surely I, I've, I've done these things at some point in my life, but when did we 
do it unto you. When I'm so confused. And so uh, the sheep go in bewildered and confused by what turns out to be uh, the grace of God. Uh, the key word here is what is it that Jesus says when he beckons the sheep to come in? Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He does not say, O come, O blessed of my Father, and enter into the kingdom that you have earned. Enter into the kingdom that you have worked so hard to get into. But enter into the kingdom which what? You've inherited. Now, you all know what an inheritance is. It's something that you receive that you had absolutely nothing to do with. You have received something that was the result of the hard, hard work of another. And so it is that these sheep don't enter in because of their good works, but they enter in because they are sons and daughters of the living God and therefore inheritors of the kingdom of God. And that is how they go in. But what about these works? Well, one of the things that happens that when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and your heart begins to change. It is changed. And so all of a sudden, you have a heart for things that you once did not. And so when you pass the homeless person in the street... Your heart ought to cry out, I wish that there was more than, that I could do. Indeed, when you see lack and injustice anywhere around the world, your heart ought to grieve in the same way that God's heart grieves. And if you're a Christian, it does that. The Christian is able to say, I'm not doing enough. The ghosts say, I've got it covered. I'm pretty good. I've got it. And so... The sheep enter by sheer grace and inheritance, not because God has tallied up their lives, but what God has counted toward them is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now this is a uh, hard word, because especially in the world in which we live in, uh, there are a lot of people who will say, look, I think that if you're really good, You'll get into heaven. I'm fine with Jesus. I think that that's right. But uh, God will, at the end of the day, take good people and put them into heaven and take bad people and then they'll go to heaven. But who decides who's good and who's not? What amounts to goodness? When I was uh, at UVA, I got what was known as gentleman's grades. And they, uh, at the bottom of our report card, would show us where we ranked in our class. And so it would say, you are number 928. This is just an arbitrary number. 928 out of, out of uh, 2,195. And, uh, and so uh, when I would look at that number, you know, we'd have a good laugh. And uh, for some reason, when you're at that point, the pressure's kind of off. You know, you, you just... You have a good time. And uh, that's for any of you visiting home from Thanksgiving from college. Don't listen to that. So one day I was at my friend David's house, and David was the most studious person I'd ever met in my life. He tried so hard to the expense of his own social life. Uh, but David and I were in a number of classes together, and he worked really hard and took very good notes. 
And so I was over talking to David about a class, and his report card was sitting there on his desk. And like anybody else, I looked at it, and it said 2 out of 2,195. And I thought, David, uh, pretty, pretty impressive. And then, uh, about a year later, we were all uh, sitting around talking about grades and report cards, and we were again making the joke about how wonderful it is that the pressure's been taken off of those of us who are in quadruple digits on our report card. And David, under his breath, but loud enough for a couple of us to hear, he said, you try being number two. So in spite of all of David's striving and efforts, he never made it. To number one. And from my perspective, David's number two in line. Like, he's the sheep getting into academic heaven. Right? He's at the front of the line with everybody else. Like, if I'm, I might be the caboose. I might be the caboose. I don't know. Uh, But from where I sit, like, he's in. But from David's perspective, it wasn't good enough. He wasn't getting in. He wasn't making it. He wasn't measuring up. And so who decides, who has the perspective to decide who gets in and who gets out? And there's this idea in the world where Christianity is so exclusive because you tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe on Him for salvation, and that's what gets you into heaven? Not being good enough? Well, the universal religion of humankind is this. We develop a good record and give it to God. And then he owes us. The gospel says, God develops a good record and then gives it to us. And then we owe him. In short, to say a good person, not just Christians, can find God, is to say that being good enough is a way to be in a relationship with God. So apparently, what's perceived as the more inclusive approach is really pretty exclusive. It says the good people can find God and the bad people do not. But what about us who are complete moral failures? What about us who have blown it? What about us who don't measure up? What about us who know all too well where we find ourselves in the class of salvation? that we don't even rank in the top 50%, we're excluded according to that standard. The gospel says the people who know they aren't good can find God, and the people who think that they are good cannot. Then what about non-Christians, all of whom must, by definition, believe their moral efforts help them reach God? They are excluded. It is a true saying that heaven is populated by sinners and hell is populated by the self-righteous who lean on their own selves in order to get them into the kingdom of God. But what Jesus says to us is it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've even been at the gates of hell. You can be welcomed and embraced fully and instantly through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, for those of us who are putting our trust in Jesus Christ, when we stand before that judgment seat, 
We are filled with fear, but it's a healthy fear knowing that we stand before a king. But we stand there with confidence because we know that he is a merciful king. And that he has come to set all things to right. That's one of the glorious things about God's judgment. Where there has been injustice, where there has been any wrong, where there has been any exploitation, where there has been anything in the world that has been broken or cast down. God is going to right it. He's going to make it new. He's going to restore it, to lift it up, and to make things the way that they are supposed to be. And so that is why Christians can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we see ourselves and we see the world around us, that God will come and that he will set things to rights. And so... It is only because of the doctrine of judgment in hell that Jesus' proclamation in grace and love are so brilliant and astounding. That the God of the universe had taken on flesh and hung and died on a cross for you and for me and experienced hell itself by separating himself from God the Father in his death. Think about it. If somebody cuts you off on 280 or on the highway, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? It dings you a little bit. But you get over it pretty quickly. But a friend, they say, you know, I'd rather not see you anymore. That really hurts. But what if a spouse said to you, I'm leaving and I'm I'm not coming back. I don't want to see your face ever again. Uh, The longer the relationship, the more intimate the relationship, the harder that separation is. That's real hell, separation from the love of God. And yet Jesus experienced that on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is how great his love was and is for you and for me. That he would know even the torment of hell and separation from God the Father in order that you and I might be inheritors of his grace. Sons and daughters, children of God. As the author of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our own weaknesses. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Uh, Sheep of the Lord, we don't measure up. Uh, We fall short. And yet... God's grace is sufficient for you. And so we approach that judgment day knowing our own weakness, but putting our trust in the greatness of the shepherd who is willing to even go after the one who has lost and gone astray in order to bring them back into the sheepfold. Look to him, your shepherd, and the author and perfecter of your faith, the king of judgment, the king of mercy. Amen. Amen.